I'm John, and tonight I want answers about the tough questions about Bitcoin. There's no stopping us now, because we're live. I'm John Thompson. I'm John A. Vink. I'm Keith Statenfield. I'm Loretta Beavers. I'm AJ Minnick. I'm Jennifer Sim. I'm Bobby Chastain. These stories tonight on John Wants Answers. John Wants Answers. John Wants Answers. Give John Answers. John Wants Answers. Give John Answers now. Check your calendar. If it says March 9th, 2023, then we're live. My guest tonight is John Kalb, and that means we're talking about Bitcoin. Sounds good. Sounds good. But before we get into Bitcoin, great news. Uh-huh. New affiliates. Oh, yes. You've been bringing in the new stations you, yes. with our Bitcoin episodes. We have Amherst Media in Amherst, Massachusetts. Man, Massachusetts loves John Wants Answer. So Doesn't everybody. <laughs> everybody does. Given the right chance, everybody does. And then also, not just them, Tahoe Truckee Media from Truckee, California, also joining us. So welcome to our new affiliates. Bitcoin, the tough questions. Yes. Okay, before we get into that, I'm going to say, you first came on the show December 8th, and the price of Bitcoin was 17253 Okay. You came back. January 12th, mm -hmm. price went up to 18848 mm -hmm. Today, mm -hmm. for this showing, March 9th, 20359 I've got a feeling you're coming on the show just to pump up that's right. the price of Bitcoin. That's right. That's right. Because that's what this show is. I don't know if you know this, but this show is very influential. Uh-huh. So. It's all about the hype. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In our first set of answers about Bitcoin, mm -hmm. when you came on, yeah. we discussed cyberpunks and why Bitcoin was created. Right. Then, in part two, right. we discussed what people need to know before investing in Bitcoin. Right. Now, I have a follow-up question mm -hmm. from part two. Mm -hmm. You're telling us about a cold wallet. Yes. So it's um, a device yes. that you connect to your computer with USB. Yes. And it's not on the internet. That's right. And you put your keys, your bitcoins, onto the wallet. Right. Well, no, not exactly. You put your keys, your private keys, are stored on the wallet. Okay. The bitcoins themselves, of course, are on the the spreadsheet or the ledger that is shared by all of the, the blockchain. The blockchain. Right. Okay. So th all those codes, all those coins are out there in whatever account they are. The key is what allows you to move them. Okay. And then you said when you first get the cold wallet, right. you get 24 words. Right. And if you lose your wallet or get right. stolen or something, right. you can get a new wallet, right. type in those 24 words, right. and it pop, everything's there. Yes. And so I was wondering, if it's not connected to the cloud, how does the cold wallet know what your keys are? Okay, so effectively, um, those words, of course, are just, uh, it's a protocol, it's a shared protocol, it's not proprietary, so all the wallets have the same internal logic for what mm -hmm. they do with those words. Okay. The words represent numbers. So effectively, those 24 words represent a number that is the seed that is used to generate all the 
private and public private keys, right? Okay. So essentially, that 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 number, those twenty four words representing that unique number that is in that wallet when it ships to you, that will generate all the public and private keys that you can use. And if you were to lose that, or it's stolen, or it's destroyed, or whatever, you can buy a new wallet, and instead of, you just erase the 24 keys, that are, 24 words that are in it, upload the 24 words that you recorded, you better have saved those somewhere, because uh -huh. if you lose those, you've yeah. lost it. Yeah, like but you put those 24 words in, and then what happens is it, it knows then all the public and private keys on that. So um, it doesn't know that there's any Bitcoin in there because that's on the blockchain itself. But it knows what all those, for all of your public accounts, it knows all the private keys. It's stored okay. on that wallet. So the only thing on the wallet is the keys, not the Bitcoins. The Bitcoins, of course, stay in the protocol. They stay on the ledger. All right. Okay. But now I want answers about something Bitcoin critics have always been saying. Yes. Bitcoin will have a significant impact on climate change. That's what they're saying. Yes. So is Bitcoin going to boil the oceans? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So if you listen to the uh, critical extremists, mm -hmm. then the, oil, the oceans should already have been boiled, right? <laughs> uh, as you might expect from the extremists, they are some uh, combination of exaggeration, uh, bad assumptions, bad faith, etc., um, but so Bitcoin does use a lot of energy. It does right? use a lot of energy. That's absolutely right. Okay, um, but it's usually uh, it's it's portrayed as an exaggeration. It, Bitcoin uses a significant amount of energy, but it's less energy, for example, than um, drying clothes. Less energy than streaming videos. If you looked at all the videos that are streamed, uh, less energy than. Uh, gold mining, less energy than Christmas lights, so it's significant. Uh -huh. But notice in a free society, you don't have to justify how you want to, you know, if you want to dry your clothes in a dryer instead of on the line, or if you want to decorate with Christmas lights, or as long as you're paying for the energy you use, you can do what you want with it. Um, so it's a little bit um, of maybe a double standard to say, oh, well, this particular use you have to justify. The people who are paying for that energy, of course, Bitcoin owners, mm -hmm. believe that it is worth it for them to spend this money, to buy this energy, to secure their retirement savings, right? And so, you know, what is that, what is that worth? Mm -hmm. right. Well, aren't there alternative methods of doing this that use less energy? Yeah, right. Let's talk about an alternative. So mm -hmm. Bitcoin uses something called proof of work. Right. And that's where the energy is used, and we talked about this in the earlier episodes. Uh, but what happens is that uh, the proof of work is essentially solving this difficult to calculate mathematical, but easy to validate, mm -hmm. right? right? So what happens is a Bitcoin miner, which is the term we use, uh, is going to propose a, a, a new block to the blockchain, and they prove that it's a valid block by having done this calculation. And then they create this block and say, I've, I've got a new block I want to add. Anyone looking at it can quickly do the calculation and, and recognize, yep, that's a valid block. Mm -hmm. You did the work. Right. You proved that you did the work. So uh, unfortunately, why it is that that proof of work maintains the integrity, there's a lot of detail there. I mean, kind of the shortcut, this is not the complete answer, but part of the answer is just that it is so expensive to make a block 
that you wouldn't want to make a fraudulent block because if it's discovered, you've just wasted all that energy, mm -hmm. right? So you don't want to do that. You want to make valid blocks. And so that's part of what uh, is, is the reason for the proof of work, right? So this is the uh, system that Satoshi came up with for Bitcoin mm -hmm. was proof of work. And one of the nice things about that is that it uh, emphasizes decentralization because anyone, as long as you're connected to the internet and you have a computer, you can go in the business of mining. And so it's dispersed. There are Bitcoin miners all over the world and it's very decentralized. There's lots of them out there. And that investment in the hardware to do the Bitcoin mining mm -hmm. means that the Bitcoin protocol by far is the least hackable of any of the cryptocurrencies by orders of magnitude because of the investment and the proof of work necessary for you to try to make fraudulent blocks or something like that. It's just, that's not gonna happen. It's very, very secure. The price we pay is the energy that's right. used mm -hmm. for that. Now, there is an alternative. There's an alternative called proof of stake. And the idea with proof of stake is that instead of proving that you are a good player by investing in doing the work, you simply put up, now, of course, not Bitcoin, but some other cryptocurrency, you take your tokens and you make a commitment and it will be sizable, maybe $100,000 or something like that. You've made this commitment. And now you will, with the other miners who've all made that commitment, either rotate around and you get, to, you get your turn at making the, the, the block and getting a reward for having made the block. Now, there's a few problems with this from the Bitcoin point of view. One is that it's the opposite of decentralized. It has a tendency towards centralizing. It's essentially the rich get richer kind of approach. You already have a lot of tokens. If you just have a few tokens, you can't play in the game. You've gotta be the big guy. Um, and what we see is that because Bitcoin is decentralized, there's, uh, there's, there's, it's very hard to do any kind of censorship. There was a Bitcoin mining company, Bitcoin mining company that said, we are going to censor transactions. We are going to follow guidelines of this uh, government agency that basically was saying these countries should not be dealt with, like North Korea and stuff like that. You shouldn't do any of that. Mm -hmm. And so this Bitcoin company said, well, we're going to do Bitcoin mining, but we're not going to use any transactions that are not on the good list from this agency. And what happened was <laughs> investors were not happy. They eventually changed their policy and said, we're not going to do any censorship because this approach of competing and trying to make as much money as you can means you take all comers. You don't censor. But we've already seen in proof of stake that because usually people know who the big players are, the government can put pressure on these big players. And so we already see censorship um, in where we have proof of stake. There's lots of censorship. So it's the opposite of decentralization, there's the centralization. And it also wouldn't work for Bitcoin for one important reason, and that is the whole point of the proof of stake is that if you do try to do something fraudulent, you sacrifice your stake. Mm -hmm. But that means there has to be someone who is watching over the miners and verifying that they're not misbehaving so that they know when to confiscate the, the stake if that happens. There's no such thing in Bitcoin. There's literally no mm -hmm. one who runs Bitcoin. It is right. entirely automated. There's no one who's watching it. And so having some kind of proof of stake thing just wouldn't work for Bitcoin at all. So it's a non-starter. Uh, it's a non-starter for Bitcoin. Okay. Um, 
But as Bitcoin usage grows and the value of Bitcoins takes off, yeah. will this require more and more energy? I mean, even if oceans aren't boiling, aren't we going to burn up all the fossil fuel for Bitcoin? Um, you might think, because yes, as, as the price of Bitcoin goes up, mm -hmm. that means that the block reward that goes to the miners, which is in Bitcoin, its value goes up. And as that value is up, the Bitcoin miners are willing to use more and more energy to do the mining. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, yeah, they're going to burn all the fossil fuel. But it turns out, no. And the reason is because they're in such competition with each other. So right now, um, if you're trying to run a Bitcoin mining operation, how do you compete with other Bitcoin miners? Well, one way is you buy the latest mining hardware. But of mm -hmm. course, that's available to everyone. So it's not really a competitive advantage. It's just a commitment how much you want to do. Um, you could just run with fewer employees, have better trained people, so you have fewer people. Mm -hmm. like that. But the real win, the way you're going to compete, is you're going to have lower-priced energy. You've got to get mm -hmm. lower-priced energy. If you are trying to do a Bitcoin mining operation now, your business plan better have a way of being able to buy energy at about two cents per kilowatt hour. That's pretty low. That's pretty low. The, uh, the going rate across most of the world for energy uh, generated electricity is on the order of 15 cents per kilowatt hour. I think I pay 26 cents around here. Does that sound right? That could be very likely in the Bay Area, sure. Yep. I have a friend, uh, Richard, and he was Bitcoin mining, but he only mined when the price was high. Mm -hmm. Because when the price went a little low, it cost more energy. Right. Than he was getting. Than he was going to get. Yes, yes, yes. So he was off and on, depending right. on when. Right. Um, and then, of course, over time, if other people are investing more and more hardware, then that, again, may make it less profitable for him to. It's very competitive. I have a, remember a story um, where I lived in British Columbia yeah. with the Columbia River mm -hmm. going through. Sure. A lot of hydroelectric dams going yes. through. Yes, yes, yes. So a small town in Washington had a dam next door. Yes. So they had really low power right and suddenly like all these bit miners moved into a small little town and they brought up all this real estate and they installed all their you know servers and now the local power company had to increase like transformers and infrastructure for power to a small little town which they weren't expecting to do for like 20 years yeah yeah but you know everyone moved well, in that's that's yeah. that's the key that's what the bitcoin miners have to do they have to find the cheapest electricity now, is there still electricity in the U.S. that's two cents a kilowatt hour? I don't even know, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you might find electricity like that uh, near hydroelectric areas, mm -hmm. or you might find it in Texas where they have large, huge solar panels, mm -hmm. solar farms. Because one of the things, um, so one of the things you have to understand about electricity, in order to understand any of this, there's two things you need to understand about electricity. But first, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. The question is, what is the number one usage, the consumption of generated electricity? And there's sources for generated electricity, hydro, nuclear, mm -hmm. uh, solar, wind, fossil fuels. But what is the consumption? What's the number one consumption? Is it um, heating or charging EVs? No. <laughs> Good guesses. Uh -huh. But the number one consumption is waste. 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 Yes. Uh -huh. So there's two things you need to know. The first thing is that batteries, it makes sense to run, if you've got an appliance, if you've got a cell phone or even a car, having generate, 
generate electricity, put it in a battery, that makes sense. But if you're actually going to try to power like a city or even a factory or something like that, the, the battery required to do that is, it's just a non-starter. Uh -huh. You could not possibly afford to power at that level. Okay. So you have to be thinking when we generate electricity, we have to have a market for it right now. Right. right. So you can't you can't, you store, can't store energy on the grid. Can't store electricity. Yes. It has to be used. It has to be used right. Away. Exactly how it's being produced. Right. And the other thing is distance. Mm -hmm. Electricity, when going over a power line, dissipates very quickly. So if you're generating at point A, and you want to send it to a, a, a consumer, you've got mm -hmm. a factory that's 500 miles away that will take the electricity. It's virtually not use, worth doing you're going to dissipate so much energy to get 500 miles. Oh, okay. So the, the thing to understand is that generated electricity is valuable if you have a market for it right here and right now. Otherwise, the term we often use is stranded energy or stranded electricity. It's essentially worth nothing. It's oh. going to be dissipated. It's waste. And that's why you have situations like you talking about um, in... Um, uh, from the Columbia River mm -hmm. because they had all this hydropower and it wasn't used. So it was just going to be thrown away. So they price it really cheap because, well, it's better to get something for it than nothing. Yep. And that's why the Bitcoin miners are moving into places where there's um, renewables because uh, generally speaking, anytime you have renewables, whether it's solar or wind, that's not, you can't run something that's that will work only on that because the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow mm -hmm. and you can't store it. So that means you've got to have some alternative, such as fossil fuels or something else. And what that means is that when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing, you have tons of energy, and so you'll sell it cheap. And so that's where that's the Bitcoin, that's how it works. That's the secret, is you're looking for standard, for stranded energy. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, you may see, you've probably seen either in person or pictures of oil derricks, right? Uh -huh. And you see the, the flame at the top. Right. Right. Okay, so what's going on there is whenever you drill a hole and you find oil, you find petroleum, you will also find natural gas. They're almost always together. Okay. Now, sometimes it's a rich natural gas, and sometimes it's rich in petroleum, but they're almost always together. So petroleum's pretty easy. Assuming the well's of a certain size, it makes sense. You pump it out, you put it in a tanker truck, and you take it to the refinery. Right? Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. But natural gas, you've got two choices. One is you build a pipeline. Well, of course, if you're in a really remote area and you only have a small amount of natural gas, it's not going to pay off to build a pipeline. Mm -hmm. So the other choice is, is to condense it down. So instead of just being a gas, it actually is liquid natural gas. So you have to condense it down, which means making it very cold. Yeah. And then you have to put it on a truck that is a pressurized truck that keeps it refrigerated so that you can take it to market. And again, if you only have a small amount of natural gas, it's not worth doing it. So that's why they're burning it off. Well, why are they burning it? Isn't that CO2 emissions, uh -huh. right? Yeah, but it turns out that, that CO2 emissions are not as bad as natural gas, just releasing the natural gas. Okay. So the environmentalists definitely want them to burn that. But what the Bitcoiners are saying is, wait a minute, why don't we bring the Bitcoin miners to the oil field, right? We can't get that energy to where it's going to be used, but we can take the Bitcoin miner to the oil field. 
And there are companies right now that are working with companies to capture that natural gas, which is just going to be burned off, and they're generating electricity right on site, which mm -hmm. again, the electricity wouldn't be useful. It's not worth generating because you're too far away, it's too remote. Um, but you can use it immediately for Bitcoin mining. As long as you have access to the internet, you can do the Bitcoin mining right there. All right. Um, so Bitcoin mining never uses fossil fuels? Well, we're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. um, in general, yeah, you have the situation where um, in, order to, in order for a, a, an electricity provider to burn fossil fuels, they've got to have a market that's going to pay them you know, a high rate. Mm -hmm. And so in general, no. What we're seeing is that Bitcoin miners are getting more and more renewables. Right? Yeah. And my prediction, of course, you know, it's a prediction. It's worth, worth what it's worth. <laughs> um, in the future, I think that Bitcoin mining will be done only on energy that is essentially free. In other words, it will be, uh, as I said, oil fields, or it will be hydroelectric. If you're a, um, a hydroelectric producer yourself, mm -hmm. then you don't want to just waste this energy. You're going to start getting into the Bitcoin business. Um, one of the things that's happening right now in Africa is there's a company that is looking for hydroelectric opportunities where they're building hydroelectric dams in locations where there's no electricity at all. So they're electrifying the, the people giving them electricity, but they're paying for it with the fact that, um, that they can get Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So I think in the future, you're gonna, we're going to see that any waste energy people are going to try to capture it with Bitcoin. And I don't think you're going to be successful to be in the business of buying energy that costs money. I think eventually it'll all be free. So I, I just today on Twitter saw someone who had a picture of uh, their, their wife just bought a new space heater. Okay. They were showing it. They took the top off. And what it was is it was a Bitcoin miner on the inside. So any place, you know, most heating is done with gas. Mm -hmm. right? But any heating that's done with electricity you might as well take that electricity and run a Bitcoin miner. The conversion of electricity to heat is exactly the same. It's just that you're doing something with that electricity to generate Bitcoin. Um, now, the cost... The cost of this is, heater might be more than a... It will, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, it's probable that the Bitcoin generated won't even pay for all of the energy, but it will recoup some of the price uh -huh. of the energy. So that's what I think is the future of Bitcoins, you know, it's, it's already being used now to make it more affordable for people to do things like, uh, see one of the problems if you want to put in solar panel field or a wind field, something like that, windmills, um, is that when the sun is shining, you're going to generate more energy. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with it? You can't recoup it all. Well, one of the things you can do is say, well, we're going to bring in Bitcoin miners. And if we have excess energy, we can mine when the sun is shining or mine when the wind is blowing. I've heard that in California, around 2 p.m., the price of electricity that goes near zero, because everyone's solar panels on the roof <laughs> is generating so much energy, so now they need something to do with it. Um, now, the more time we spend money in Bitcoins, yeah. there will be a time when we've mined the last Bitcoin. Yeah. And therefore, we would need no more miners um, does the Bitcoin protocol still require power, like to do transactions? Okay, so um, we haven't we haven't uh, talked about this detail. Um, the Bitcoin miners 
they take a bunch of transactions, they make a block to add to the blockchain, and they get the block reward associated with that. But the block reward is made up of two things. One is that there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that is given to each miner whenever they do a block, but this changes. So it started out at 50 Bitcoin per block. Right now it's down to six and a quarter. It gets cut in half every four years. On a very specific time schedule? Yes, yes. Okay. Right. After so many blocks, which turns out to be about four years, then the block reward cuts in half. So now it's still higher than it was four years ago because the growth of Bitcoin's price has always been higher. But okay. it does reduce uh, the, the return to the Bitcoin miners. Mm -hmm. But there's another set, there's another source of income, and that is every Bitcoin transaction, you put a little bit of Bitcoin as a tip to the miners. A tip sounds voluntary. Um, is it more like a commission you are forced to pay? It used to be entirely voluntary. You could literally do zero, mm -hmm. but now there is a minimum. But notice what happens is each block has a certain fixed size. Only so many transactions can fit in that block. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make sure your transaction is processed quickly, you give them a more generous tip. <laughs> You're paying them to process the transaction. Okay. But there is, a, there is a minimum. It's pretty small, uh, but it is a little bit. But if you collect all of the transactions for the whole block, then if you mine the block, you get all the tips. So you get the, the protocol reward plus the tip makes the entire block reward. Now, the protocol reward will go away completely. That's why we say that Bitcoin has a 21 million finite supply. Mm -hmm. The truth is it's not completely mined, but most of it is. It's, I think we're at like 20 million mines. So there's not- Oh, there's, there's only a little bit left. There's only a little bit left. And because it keeps dropping in half every four years, it's very, very slowly going away. The, I think the last uh, reward from the protocol will happen in 2140? 2140? Yeah, so it's like over 100, 100 years, years from now. Yes, yes, yes. So even though 20 million out of the 21 million have already been mined. <laughs> it's going to take us 100 years. It goes exponentially down, right? Every four years, it cuts okay. in half. So when we get to that point, the miners will have to survive entirely on tips. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't worry about that because by the time we get there, are I miners think, different than the transaction people? Or the the miners people? convert a bunch of transactions into a block. Okay. They are block miners. And so they get the block reward, which is the protocol reward, which is this currently six and a quarter bitcoins, mm -hmm. plus all the tips. Now, as time goes on, those, those transaction tips will be more and more valuable because mm -hmm. the price of bitcoin will go high. Okay. So, um, so that's, you know, it's a problem that will happen over 100 years from now, but it will eventually happen. But if it, if there wasn't a good solution to it, then we would be worrying about it now, because obviously, even though it's not a problem now, we have to make certain that, you know, I want my Bitcoin to be good, pass it on to future generations, right? So um, it's, uh, it's a concern. People think about mm -hmm. it, but I'm not worried about it, because I think that by the time we get there, the tips will be, remember that the block reward, the protocol reward goes down and down and down. Eventually we'll be in, we're not quite there yet, but eventually we'll be in a situation that the tips are a greater portion of okay. the reward than the, than the block reward. And um, so that's, but yes, that will happen. Now, are we going to see advances in technology to make Bitcoin mining 
you know, take up less energy. And well, what actually drives the amount of energy is the price of Bitcoin. Because if you think about it, it's a competition, right? I'm competing with other miners. Mm -hmm. How much am I willing to spend? Well, it depends on what the reward is. If the price of Bitcoin shoots way up, I'm going to spend a lot more. If the price of Bitcoin falls, of course, I'm going to spend less. So it's, it's not really a question of how efficient we are because it, we're competing with other Bitcoin miners, mm -hmm. right? So um, if it's more expensive, uh, if, if, the, if the Bitcoin value is up, people will throw more value, more mining resources at it. All right. But again, we're also competing on, I mean, the way I compete is by keeping my costs down. So I've got to find essentially, you, you know, energy that would otherwise be wasted. That's the key. I have to keep looking for cheaper and cheaper energy. And that's what, uh, that's why I'm not concerned about it. It's not going to boil the oceans <laughs> because we're not going to use fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. We're going to find, unless it's, you know, natural gas that would have been thrown away or something like that. We're always going to be looking for cheaper and cheaper sources of energy. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks again to John Cal for coming on and telling us more about the tough questions about Bitcoin. Um, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>